You want to know what the difference between you and me is? What? We could start at the penis. Or we could just scream, I don't give a fuck, and see who means it. it- it's Mormon in the method. <laughs> If you put a Mormon and a meth head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron would all and just so read our friends. Listen to them talking to Mike. Mormon and the meth head, Mormon and the meth head, Mormon and the meth I keep trying to come up with uh life experience most of your life experiences i can attribute or i can connect in some fashion to i guess that's not true uh, that's the thing that's so fascinating about you is that you have so many uh interesting things that i've never encountered in my life but i always try to relate when i'm talking to someone i try to relate my own personal life experience and because I've had a lot of uh, life experience and feelings and stuff I can usually connect somewhat and one thing that I can't relate to that I have been thinking about a lot lately is the loss of identity it's one of the most interesting things to me about ex-Mormons because it's not because the things because love and marriage and sex were synonymous and how that how that loss in the divorce you experienced as something much deeper than just a divorce because of that religion, but also people leaving that re- religion. I'm so interested in hearing them talk about their experiences. Yeah, you like it when we go to people's houses. I love stuff. it. It's so interesting to me. I, I feel like I've been led into a a, a society that I uh, knew nothing about. And, and, and I love listening to different ex-Mormons talk about when we went to that uh, those people's house the other night. Mm-hmm. Listening to them talk about uh, how it was for them and then the conversation when they both had been thinking about leaving a little bit for a while and then having to have that conversation and stuff. Like that stuff is also interesting to me. But then the aftermath of it and just on the ex-Mormon Reddit and stuff, I, I watched like it's... It's you call it transitioning. I mean, when we leave, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's this whole There's, other thing, this mm-hmm. loss of identity, and I have nothing to relate that to because I, I am, I have a different. I've never done anything for more than a few years. I've never had one identity that I didn't just since I was a little kid. I uh, never planted roots in anything or anywhere or with anyone that lasted for any significant period of time. So I, I, it's, it's something that I can't, I can, I can look at it and, and, and comprehend the impact. And I think that this is a thing in my life that I have either celebrated about myself at some points and other times felt, uh, am I of even real, you know, like it, it, I have friends that I've had for a long time because of the internet. You know, I don't, I don't let friendships go down in flames, but I have uh, very, very close friends for, for a few years at a time. And then I just become this other thing 
or I move across the country and just start over again. And if I've, if I've settled into something, I get kind of restless. And what's the longest friendship you've had? Where we stayed. Yeah. Like someone that you're in. Well, I don't know. You tell me. I guess uh, my friend, my best friend, Georgie on meth, you know, cause that was a full six years. And um, what happened uh, when you got clean with Georgie? I mean, yeah, he just, you know, he didn't yet. You he is now. Do you, uh, I mean, I know I've heard other uh, people in recovery talk about you got to leave behind all your friends. Uh, did, and I know we touched on it before. Did, did you leave all your friends? I did. I moved across the country and I think, did we get into this? Yeah. yeah how sad it was in mm-hmm. leaving. We got into it. Uh, how hard it was for me to accept that those weren't my friends. So then I became best friends, like best friends. Like, in, like I have these insanely close friendships. This one was probably a little bit codependent. Uh, Which one? My best friend, Chrissy, who is same birthday as you. Oh yeah. You told me about her. And um, we were just like freshly clean she moved into my parents house and we worked together and we were inseparable i remember it was very painful when she got a boyfriend Mm. and i mean jason had already moved but this was like a an inseparable friendship and then i got promoted at work she went to work somewhere else she moved in with her boyfriend and it was almost a break it wasn't a breakup we were we're still you know we're still friends like there's we're like family my family considers her family she comes to to birthday parties and stuff like but that that day-to-day closeness uh was a few years and then i moved and then it was something that we tried to we tried to get back but it's almost like i just switched timelines and but identity especially depending on who i'm sure as time goes on and we travel around the country i'll introduce you to old friends of mine and you'll find that the ones you know it's like an era of my life that it was like oh yeah that's that was super christian jessa oh yeah that was tweaker jessa oh yeah that was uh that was jessa that was on this kick yes wait all right so we've got aside from childhood uh, which, I mean, I feel like there were points where you were uh, a regular child and then a point where you were like a dog child. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> you had several... Like, you All had, of like, my friends were woodland creatures. Yeah. <laughs> you were a feral child. Um, then, I mean, then you were like teenage mom, yeah. right? You were you were married and mom. Well, no, I was like wannabe gangster, oh, uh, shit, criminal, yeah. criminal teenager criminal in and teenager, out of mental hospitals. Uh, yeah. And then uh, wait, did we we cut the other? It was in the the second parenting episode that we talked about the fucking bus driver story. Is no, that was sti- in the second acid episode. No, I know, but then uh, in Burbank or whatever, we recorded stuff, and I made you retell the story, oh, did you? and then oh, I you think did. that got, cut, got as cut as well. That. Fuck. Uh, All right, well, hold on. Then there was a period of time where you were. Raising your own uh, sister daughter of incest. Uh, <laughs> have we not told that story? No. Okay. Can you please tell well, that yeah, story? I need to clarify now. We'll right. get back to all this other uh, identity shit later. This is the funniest fucking okay. story. So I was a compulsive liar when I was. We could do an entire episode of <gasps> compulsive lies that I've told. Okay. Should we just do that? Go for it. Just start right. with this big one, though. Okay. So. Uh, yeah, because did we tell the the skating rink? Was that an acid one or two? Skating rink we told. Okay. 
And you were like, I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. The first time you'd ever drank beer. You're like, oh, I've got a problem. <laughs> Your poor, poor dad. dad. Uh, another thing that I did a lot was make my dad look like a child molester. <laughs> I was... Uh, I was obsessed with teenage motherhood and I had to ride a, like a short bus to my day hospital, which was like a mental hospital that I went to school at. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were, I mean, yeah, I mean, you told me that I just imagine you were going to a regular school the whole time. No. You're being driven. Is there anyone else on the bus? Yeah, like a couple kids. There's, so there's just a few have to kids on the bus. Around the city. And then I would sit just directly behind the bus driver and I carried a picture of my little sister when she was a baby in my pocket and would always just like put it in the bus driver's face and be like, this is my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Man, rough night, rough night taking care of my daughter. Uh, and I'm how, like how, how, 14. 14. <laughs> So she's like, you're 14. I was like, yeah, yeah, it was rape. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Why did you make it? I, yeah. I just felt like it was more believable. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it was rape. <laughs> you know how it goes, Diane. <laughs> I like how everyone is Diane. Yeah. Everyone's Diane. <laughs> So I'm just like, uh, we just get in, just get in the bus every morning and give her this casual uh, journal of my life as a teenage rape baby mother. Uh, so then, but it's Delaware. So then she's at the bar where my stepmom works and she's like, oh, you're Jessica's uh, a stepmom? Man, she's, I can't believe that she... Uh, She's, she's so brave. She's so brave. She manages to go to school uh, and still take care of that uh, little rape baby. <laughs> and my parents are just exasperated by my bullshit at this point. Like, uh, I mean, I am being and you're only 14 and I, already yeah. so tired. Oh, God. It was just endless. I think me. I told my first lie at 14. Oh, my God. I was born lying. And so my stepmom's like, what? And she's like, yeah, little blonde hair, uh, pigtails. And she's like, that's my daughter. And then I had to get like, you raped Jessica? <laughs> <laughs> I alerted the uh, authorities. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was endless uh, bullshit. Did I tell the story about singing You Can't Hurt Me Now? Yes, we've told you. Yeah, yeah, we've told that one. Okay. And when I finally read the lyrics to that Madonna song, that was like, "Holy shit, your yeah, poor dad, my poor dad, your poor dad." Also, like the the bus drivers, like you're so brave, Jessica's so brave, going to school and take, but yeah, well, going to going to uh, mental hospital school <laughs> <laughs> and taking care of that rape baby. Oh, so I did have, so I had that phase. I loved that mental hospital school, by the way. Mm. It was the best. And they well, you, have me in it. I have a friend. Uh, well, I've got two friends. They're uh, a married couple. Uh, I met them at BYU. And they, the, the wife works in a, not a mental hospital, but a place for troubled girls. Mm -hmm. And uh, so my friend told me, like when he listened to the episode about where you talked about like you know wanting to to act out so you get tied down so you'd have that attention so you have you know all that stuff that yeah. you loved he was he wanted he immediately shared the podcast with her because 
she works with girls like that. Yeah. And I mean, that's a, that job takes a toll on you, I'm sure. Yeah. And it's hard. And she knows girls that were, that are just like you were. Yeah. And he wanted to show her, like, he wanted to show her an example that of someone that, that turned out could, okay. Yeah, that one day that they, they'll grow up they, and drink their pee. Yeah. It was like, you know, she, uh, she, she made it. She's all right. She's ad, uh, adjusted. I didn't say well adjusted, but <laughs> she's adjusted. She's not getting tied down every day anymore. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of uh, more examples. I just compulsively, compulsively lied and made stuff up to get. That's how I started doing stand up. I was uh, I was at a work. I had been going to open mics because Dustin was very funny, was super funny. And I was trying to Your get husband. him to do stand up. Yeah. I'm like 21. And he uh, was too big of a puss to get on stage. And, and then he started going to play basketball on Monday nights. And I was just going to the open mic by myself because our marriage was, you know. Was, was he garbage. playing basketball at church? No, we'd left Damn the church it. by this point. Okay. All right. And, uh, and Mormons so, know what I'm talking about. And so I just was going to open mics. So then I'm at a work party one night and I'm being funny. I have just uh, taken over the table talking about how I had invented spray diaper ointment, which just meant I had the idea for spray diaper ointment. Wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> was your, was your first routine a, a shark tank <laughs> sales pitch and you were crushing with it? You're like, I was just, I was, I was so funny talking about how to change a baby's diaper with this uh, new invention. I know, All I need is 20,000. The work dinner. Okay. I had come up with the idea for spray diaper ointment because I was tired of trying to get diaper ointment on my daughter's uh, rashes, which now I know it's just because I sh was putting the wrong kind of diapers on her. So then I went to the Invention Submission loves. Corporation and they were like, you have to give us a bunch of money. So then I did a poor man's patent and then I just talked constantly, which is just you mail yourself the idea. And allegedly, if somebody comes up with that idea and you have the sealed envelope, you have some rights to it. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's <laughs> this is shit that people believed before the internet existed. Okay. But so I would make people sign like an NDA on a napkin. I told fucking everybody about it because then it just became like a thing that I talked about. So I'm at this table and I'm being uh, hilarious. Wait a minute. <laughs> talking about spraying diaper ointment and I'm making everybody sign <laughs> these pizza napkins. <laughs> They just, just have the letters NDA on it. That's all it says. NDA and their signature. And it's right above like, uh, Tony's Pizzeria. <laughs> so You're like, Tony, you signed this NDA. <laughs> but I want to make a spray uh, diaper ointment. <laughs> Tony, I, have, I literally have your name on a napkin that says NDA. So you are fucked. Oh, no. <laughs> By the way, uh, I don't know how people are liars in 2018. I'm so glad that I got to get uh, to be full of shit before the internet came out. This <laughs> would be so miserable for me to have to like... Uh, so anyway, you could just say anything back then. You could just say anything. People had to take your word for it. It was a fucking fantastic time to be alive. <laughs> so um, anyway, I'm crushing. I'm very, I'm very outgoing and charismatic before I started doing drugs. I'm crushing at this table and everybody's like, you're so funny. And I said, yeah, well, I do stand-up, which meant I went to stand-up because that's 
that's how those you were going to go. open mics, but you never performed. Right. I had no intentions of ever performing. I had no idea I could do stand up. So then the next day, so there's a Monday. So this must have been like a Sunday or Saturday. So then on Monday when we're all leaving work, by the way, this job was just driving vans around uh, town and uh, we would set up a little tent at gas station parking lots and promote Marlboro cigarettes. And then hmm. there was a guy named Barfboro. <laughs> A counter campaign, and you had to like get trained in how to deal with Barfboro. <laughs> uh, was his counter campaign like, uh, like don't smoke, smoking is bad, or is it yeah. just against Marlboro? It was like he's got camels. I mean, we were the one doing the campaign. This company just did campaigns for we would give out merch and shit. Mm -hmm. I think this is all super illegal now, but uh, but it was a big deal if Barfboro. <laughs> Why did I not really talk funny? <laughs> <laughs> right uh, so um, one time I that's left. what you guys nicknamed him, right? No, that's he should he had like merch. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! And he would just show up and you know fuck your day up because we would have people like fill out their address and stuff so we could mail them shit and then they could get. Uh, like a, I don't, yeah, some t-shirts or, or whatever. Yeah, Marlboro t-shirt. No, how uh, would this guy fuck your day up? He would show up and do like a counter campaign right next door. But I never got to see Barfboro because the day that he showed up to our campaign, I had snuck. It was me and another guy, and I had snuck off to do something else, <laughs> and I got caught because I uh because Barfboro showed up, and you're supposed to pack up and leave if he shows up. Uh huh. And I had left. What was this kid's name? Whatever that fucking kid I worked with. Anyway, this is 400 bucks a week and like 98 was great money. Yeah, okay. And so... Um, How much was Barfboro getting paid? Do you think? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you got to switch sides. Oh, anyway, I almost got fired for that. So we're at, this, we're at this work dinner. I tell them that I do stand up. The, the, the Monday after that, everyone's like, hey, we're going to come check you out tonight at Burbati's Pan. And so I had like hours, I think maybe... What's the name of this place? Burbati's Pan. You don't Bur know where that's in uh, Portland. Oh it's no! Like it just it's sounded like another Barfboro made up no. uh, name. I think it means Satan's dick. Bur -bur 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 -bur. dick or something. Satan's dick. Okay, uh, probably not. But so I, I, I write out some jokes. I get to the bar and my friends are already there, and I walk up to Randy to sign up for the open mic. And he's like, oh, I didn't, I've seen you around. I didn't know you do stand. I'm like, shh, shh, shh. <laughs> and because I, I, I had to play it off like I'd been doing this. And yeah, this yeah. wasn't my first open mic. I get hammered. Absolutely oh my God, hammered. I'm nervous for you. Never invite, for anyone listening that, that is thinking about doing stand up. Them. Well, just well, yeah. I, I know I you did. I think I said I do comedy at Burbati's Pan, which is how you know that you don't actually <laughs> do comedy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. That's a great point. I was just out uh, in Salt Lake, and I met some new people, and one of them is someone who had just started doing stand up, and he had just come from an open mic, and he had mentioned that he had a video of it. And then this girl who liked him was like, "What? Oh, can I see that video of you?" And I and he was like, "Oh, well, I, I mean, I don't know." And I'm like kicking him under the table <laughs> and looking at him like, "No, 
no, dude, no, 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 do not, sh- do not. And he's like, you could watch it, baby, but just not when I'm there. And I'm like, do not, sh- do you want to fuck this girl? You do not show her a video of you at an open mic. First of all, n- no video of an open mic should ever be seen ever. But just tips to people. If you're starting stand up, you, everyone brings their friends right away. Yeah. And you shouldn't, God. do not. Do not tell your friends that you are doing stand-up until you're, you've done it for two years. <laughs> like, do it for two years and then be like, uh, like, like your story yeah. would have been w- would have been the right way to do it had it not been a total lie. Yeah. Like just at work one day after you'd been doing stand-up for a long time, you casually mention that you do it. Then people come and they see you when maybe you're actually good. No one's good no. the first time. Oh, I was good. So I you're... crushed. What? I crushed. What? what are you talking about? I crushed. I don't remember it because I was drunk. Oh, of course you crushed. I crushed. So then Always afterwards, winning. everyone at work was like, oh my God, you're so good. But then afterwards, this guy comes up and he's like, hey, we need a token female for our comedy competition. They said token female because it was the 90s. I thought uh, you were going to say because it was 2015. But No. Uh, so they didn't even, you didn't have to hide the sexism back then. So I do another open mic Tuesday night. Friday night, I, I do the preliminary round. The next week, I do two open mics in the preliminary round or and the semifinals. And then next week, so my ninth time on stage, I win the comedy competition against all of the local comics. And the prize was... How much time were you doing in this competition? I think like six minutes. <sighs> Man. I... I uh, and I'm trying to remember if I wrote different sets. I must have written different sets. For the, for each, like, was the competition several nights? Yeah, like it was, several, there several was sets? Three, three weeks. There, so it was, uh, okay. and I had done some open mics. So I I win, and then the prize was feature work for Tribble, which led to Pat Wilson. I got to go back and feature at this uh, f- thing. And so I became a professional comedian my 10th my tenth time on stage I got paid. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was within a month, and um, I then I was hosting, and the 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 headliners would have to cover my time because I had fifteen minutes written, so yeah. I must have done three different sets for that. And so, but then I was like a slut with a car, so all the all the headliners were like, "I'm going to take Jessa." So I was just <laughs> doing all these like triple runs over and over and over again. Um, but that's how, <laughs> yeah, that's how I became a comedian was cause I was absolutely full of shit. You think uh, you fucking change your, that speaking of stepping into a new timeline, yeah. uh, you were, you know, uh, barf bros nemesis one day yeah, and then the next day a professional comedian. It's crazy how that lined up too. Cause that dinner was, uh, that dinner was celebrating the end of the season that, that job only lasted for like four months. Mm-hmm. And so I went straight into that. And then I have told, I must have maybe already told this story because I, that's how my marriage ended too, because he was like, uh, uh, humoring me, I guess for the first three weeks during, uh, this like whirlwind thing that happened out of nowhere. And I mean, I knew I wanted to be an entertainer. I just, and I loved stand up. I love stand up. I just didn't in a million years think I would be good at it. And so he, uh, told me I couldn't do it. And I was like, all right, well, you can get fucked. And so my entire life changed like the next day I moved out and my whole life was different. And then I did that for a year and then I left and went and did meth 
And then when I got clean for meth, I moved across the country. And What phases did you go through uh, in that initial clean phase? When I first got clean, it was so fun. Everything for me was a huge accomplishment that everyone was happy about. <laughs> I had never tried to get clean. I have a relative right now trying to get clean, and I feel so bad because it's You never even thought duress. about getting clean until one day uh, at work, you just told your friends you were clean. And they were yeah. like, what? I, like, did, yeah. I got clean. I was moving across the country, which was a kind of a spur-of-the-moment decision. I just got sick of, sick of my boyfriend's shit. The relationship was garbage, and... I had visited my dad for the first time in five years, a month before that. So I got on an airplane. I was on the airplane still planning on being on meth. I may have told this story yeah. before too. And uh, so then I get I get to the, I quit meth. I get to the East Coast and I uh, get into, I get a job within like a month that I love and I I get into recovery and then it's just this like cool, I'm 27, 28 and it's this cool social uh, experience, fun, living like an adult who has, I had never done that before. You know, I had never been on my own. And, and so that was cool. Did that for a couple of years, then moved back to Portland, did that for a few years, then moved back to Delaware. And then there was like a ch chunk of time where I did the mom thing that was a pretty good Mm -hmm. chunk of time where i was just like domesticated uh mm -hmm. figuring out ways to make recipes without gluten in them and, and <laughs> shit very uh very mommed out right before i met you and then i just kind of reinvented again and then last year this time last year i lived in delaware had no intentions of moving to la wasn't even a thought in my head i was getting ready for this is not happening and then at this is not happening, I was like, uh, oh, I need to move to L.A. And within six months, I moved your whole family to L.A. Moved, moved my whole family to L.A., separated. Got a manager. From uh, Jason. And my entire oh. life, my entire life is different now. Mm -hmm. Damn. Uh, no, I've, I definitely, I mean, I moved. I probably went through fads as a kid. I'm like, now I make car models and now uh, I'm into Star Wars. But uh, <laughs> I definitely had one identity and yeah. it was a uh, nice Mormon boy. Yeah. <laughs> that was me, man. I was always, I mean, just being, growing up in Maryland and being like the only Mormon at my school was, I feel like people knew me, knew that I was Mormon, sure. But uh, mostly it's, comes from home it comes from church just i was so there is a way to do religion casually there absolutely is there is even a way to do mormonism casually i just think that the way most mormons are the way that the the religion is set up and the way that the culture is they they it's it's your identity man yeah. it it influences every aspect of your life every aspect of your life is dictated by uh that identity and it was nice it's nice to have a a, a thing that's 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 you that defines you that you feel safe in that you're like this is me and this is that you have all the answers you know uh you know uh, there's there's someone there to tell you what to do for everything you know and just like all your decisions 
you got to go to God for all your decisions. They really encourage, you know, prayer, ask God what, what, what college you want to go to or who you should marry, for example, you know, yeah. but you're praying to your Mormon God and you're reading your Mormon prophets words for advice and stuff. And it is, I don't know, it permeated my whole life. And so that's why for me, and again, there's Mormons that don't, that don't feel this way at all. I don't give a fuck. But for me, it was so hard to leave because I was like, this is me though. Who am I? If, if this isn't true, who everything I did was for, for something that wasn't true. Like all the fucking decisions I made about what college I would go to. Although to be honest, I probably still even, even if you're not Mormon, consider going to BYU, man. $2,000 a semester? <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Just And also, if you're not Mormon, holy shit. You can just do whatever you want and then not feel guilty about lying. <laughs> Like, I feel like if you, if you, uh, I'm so impressed with Andres who, who lived by the honor code the whole time he was there, even though he's not Mormon. If I wasn't, if I wasn't, cause there are a few non-Mormon kids at BYU you right? Know? and, uh, they have to sign an honor code still. They got to live by the same, uh, rules. Well, so what is in the honor code? The honor code is a bunch of stuff The that's about like honesty and integrity and stuff, but no one gives a shit about that part. That's clearly the important part because you can't really police that you don't really know like hey man uh are you are you do you love god and love your neighbor like you know you can't tell outwardly right so it's all the outward thing controlled by guilt yeah kind of programmed it's fine exactly exactly well there's the outwardly stuff that you can't tell it's like in the honor code it says you have to shave every day in the honor code it has stuff about like uh you know short skirts or tight fitting clothing, you know? Right. So the youths, every man, BYU's got a, a, a newspaper, right? Like most call it's like the number three new college newspaper in the country. This is what they brag about all the time. They're like, uh, you know, our newspaper program at BYU is like top three Ooh. in the nation. <laughs> we and have I, your finger on the pulse. Right. <laughs> well, I was like, <laughs> well, they've got digital, whatever. It's their journalism thing. I should say instead of newspaper, but still I would read their paper and just, weep for the future of journalism <laughs> i was like how the fuck are you number three you're in the top three in the country <laughs> this bullshit every fucking week there were letters to the editor in this paper and every every i mean okay that's an exaggeration but I'm, a few times every semester there they would publish a letter from some 18 year old freshman boy who wrote in and be to be like uh i was on i was on the quad the other day and i saw a girl wearing yoga pants and i was disgusted (laughs) to you you signed an honor code madam where where is your integrity how dare you uh walk around and tempting young men with it i i came here to learn from, from a higher institution of the lord and here you are prancing around in your lululemons and 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 slowly bringing us all down to hell and then and every like every few weeks that some a version of that letter was published and then I, and I was like you don't have to print this you guys are making a decision to print this every time this jackass writes him 
we could you could i'm sure there's another letter that you could print does it have to be this guy every time because then the next week there would, there would be like a, a girl writing in to be like how dare you uh stop policing female women's bodies blah 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 and then the week after that there'd be some other jackass who'd be like uh well, all right so i i heard your your darn your your dumb girl opinion and i i thought uh maybe what you need is some reminders on some scriptures. So here's a list of scriptures I think uh, your slutty ass should read to uh, to better remember. This is that all Christ just is sexual tension, right? This is just a bunch of oh yeah, that, that's just and so yeah. So this dude, so eighteen year old dude sees yoga pants and he wants to fuck. <laughs> But he doesn't know that. He doesn't know that. He's never he's never heard anyone say, "Ooh, ooh, I'd love to tap that ass." He's never. What he has heard people say is shame women's. He's heard people shame women's bodies before. Right. He's heard, and so like that that feeling that feeling that I, that maybe other men, uh, other young men would be like, "Oh, it's time to go to the bathroom and jerk this out." Yeah. Uh, he doesn't know what that feeling is, and it turns to to anger which then like turns to righteous anger and he's just like and fuck man that's uh (laughs) there was every not this one wasn't happening as often i think uh there was there was a period where like it got popular whatever but there would be like uh some dude at byu would hand a girl a note just like a note that was like and then and then walk away in the library and then she would read it and start crying because the note was like, I just wanted you to know that uh, you're dressed in a way that uh, is bring shame to your household or something. So this is just like dudes blaming chicks for their boners. Yeah. It's a, it is what I don't think that they know that's what it is. I don't think that they, that we were uh, just talking about how Provo is this. Yeah. With Jason. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, Provo, Provo is weird, and Jason put it in a term that I had never like really thought. Because I going to Provo has got a it, it feels strange. They talk about it being in the bubble, like jokingly, or it's like the 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 the, the Mormon bubble or whatever. Right. But it it feels physical. When you walk into Provo, it feels different. It's got a very Stepford Wives feel to it, where just everyone's the same. Everyone does the same shit, and, and like, but Jason hit the nail on the head. When he said it's just it's just sexual frustration. That whole town is sexually frustrated. That wow. uh, the entire town. He said they're so, like aggressively nice. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, yeah, that they're nice, but in a really, really aggressive way. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, yeah, that sounds like us. And then he was like, it's because you all need to jizz. And I was like, huh? Okay. Wow. So huh? you didn't. Okay, but you were jerking off by this point. Well, you're married by this point, but like. Yeah. Do you? So my BYU experience was different. I and this is why kids get married kids really married fast. Well, yeah, BYU. kids get married fast so that they can fuck. It is. I I wonder how much of them, how many of them are having good sex, but right, they're at least having sex. Yeah. Uh, but there's still like half the population that isn't married and that's just like (laughs) 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 and so you don't and you also they don't like i said like you don't know that that's what that feeling is because no one talks to you about that so you just think that that (laughs) feeling is just man i really want to get married (laughs) god i can't wait (laughs) like you see a girl that i feel like in in another world you would say man i want to fuck her uh 
but it, in Provo, it's like, man, I want to be sealed to her for eternity. <laughs> I want to become gods with her. And, uh, I make want to get God sealed babies. all over yeah. her face. <laughs> Oh, oh! Man, I want to get. I, I want to get into her mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh, so, I mean, there's there's all so the, there's all these. Th- I think this is still a good example of how you know this this permeates your entire life, and when you step out of it, Mormonism, everything can change if you want it to. You know, you could do everything differently now. How and it, but it does take a while when you step out of a a cult like you gotta you gotta deprogram there's a lot of there's a lot of uh things that you have to change in your mind even though like it was so weird i was like i don't believe in this anymore but all these things i didn't believe in anymore were still affecting how i how i felt and how i acted and how i am in relationships and all this stuff so there's there's all this there's so much deprogramming to do and that, so that's part of it, but then the fact that there are so many Mormons who are doing it right now, there are so many Mormons that are leaving yeah. all at the same time. So many of us are about the same age too. I mean, there's people leave at all ages, but right now there's this a ton of people exodus, my yeah. age uh, that are that are heading out. And so a lot of communities have been formed. Yeah. For for people transitioning out of Mormonism, for people who have left it, for people, you know, and there is a, a fraternity there because we all have had such a similar experience. It's just we all were raised in a very similar way, despite like what state or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Because our parents were Mormon, we all had these really similar experiences. And then coming out into the world we're all having the exact same similar experiences so there's a there's a lot of support that you can get from from other ex-mormons right and i don't know if other if uh, other churches are like i don't I, I, uh scott and jehovah's witnesses we'd have to ask him but it's like i did i i uh spent a lot of time talking to him about it and i i'm not uh he wasn't even sure if there are communities but that whole religion is kind of set up uh, from what I got uh, from one conversation, it's set up a lot less community than oh really. Than that's something that's great about Mormonism is their is their community. I mean, they twist it into and they make it into something sick. But yeah, uh, I did I did like and sometimes you miss that. I feel like that's part of why there's. I mean, we were just in uh, Mesa, which has a very large and like healthy ex Mormon group. And I think that some of those groups get formed because we miss that community. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm not that big on community. I guess I haven't like joined any really these groups. I'm like, ah, I'm fine. I like to talk to my friends about it, but, uh, you're living in salt Lake. And so you still, even just from Tinder, yeah, you get to hang out with a lot of ex Mormons, so uh, I think that's well, where is, you. Well, this there was there, that dude in Mesa that we met was like, uh, was just t- talking about these Facebook groups, these XMO Facebook groups. That he was like, "That's essentially Tinder. Everyone is there to fuck." And I was yeah. like, oh, "I should have joined." Are you kidding me? Fuck. 
I could have, ah, oh, of course yeah. they're there to fuck. Why didn't I think about, like, I'm getting invited to these, like, single Mormon transitions in Salt Lake, like, some group like this. Yeah. And I just immediately quiet all these notifications. I'm like, I don't give a shit uh, <laughs> about the hikes that you guys are doing on Saturday yeah, morning. I'm not going to do. But, yeah, they were probably fucking on the mountains. And I could have been there for the wilderness orgy. And I just was too too uh, <laughs> socially anxious to, to go. God damn it. If y'all had sent me an invite that said, yo, we be fucking, I would have, I would have hit interested at least. I would have been like, man, eh, yeah, I'm, in, I'm interested, but I yeah, had no that idea. Definitely, uh, that should definitely be in there. But apparently that's just, uh, you're the only ex-Mormon that doesn't it, know that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, but all right. So but. when you're in Mormonism, you've got a tight community. We, all of your friends, you meet your friends at church. You help each other move. You uh, take out. You look after each other. You take care of each other. There's, uh, you know, all you give jobs to each other. You, anytime someone's hiring at work, they just go to church and they're like, "Hey, uh, you know, someone that needs a job, I got." You know, like and more. You, you're in this. You're in this club, which I think is cool. The thing that gets twisted is that it's, you know, it's all tied to your your fucking righteousness or something. This is also how Mormons fall for every pyramid scheme because some other jack like there's a bunch of there's a bunch of bullshit artists who are just pretending to be nice people and mormons are always fooled by that and then always mormons always ignore the good people who uh you know drink coffee like you right. could be a really good person uh but they, everyone's like oh no i'm not gonna let him move into my basement apartment because uh he's you know he's a he's a child of satan uh but then meanwhile you there's guys a take there's, coffee that seriously yeah man i mean I'm a, yeah yeah i take coffee Whoa. seriously but we didn't connect before. <laughs> so I think that when you leave, I think there's a lot of Mormons who are searching for that community still that want a place to make friends that understand them, that know them, know exactly what they're going through. We can suffer together. You can laugh together. Also, it's fu- like it's so weird being the 30 year old who doesn't know like what kind of alcohol to order at the bar because you've never drunk anything in your life and you're with a bunch of other people who have been drinking since uh their late teens you know so like it's fun to go do all those stuff with the other ex-mormons who are just as dumb as you are and you guys can learn how to drink together and learn how to smoke together and apparently learn how to fuck together that's (laughs) what i've been missing out on so there's uh like loss of identity would be not only like here's the thing that you've been doing and here's the character that you've been playing in life and that everyone knows you by because that's something that when I run into someone I haven't seen in five years, they always address me uh, and try to connect with me on whatever, whoever I was at that point. And I'm always just like, how's hey, that diaper anyway. spray ointment going? <laughs> Can how's I your- talk about that yet? <laughs> Is that napkin still in play? Mm. Tell me about about your life as like the diaper baroness. How has it turned oh, out for you? Oh man. If only I had the follow through that I have now. I think with the loss of identity though, it's it's everything in your life is experienced through this filter of you're a Mormon like every single thing in your life. So you are deprogramming from, and this is another thing that we've talked to like ex-Mormons about is 
uh, or on that that one subreddit where they were talking about our podcast, and the one Mormon was like, uh, "Jess is giving you some pretty fucked up relationship advice right now." And then other Mormon ex Mormons came in. They were like, "Actually, <laughs> <laughs> the further you get out of Mormonism, the more you're going to find out that this is what love is." And we were taught codependence, which I think is a big, just this big thing that you mm-hmm. have to learn. Uh, leaving Mormonism, which I think you just learned uh, by default from the divorce, uh, yeah, was good. part of your process. You had to learn it. You had to learn it. <laughs> I don't think I would have learned it any other way. Really? Nah, man. I just I, it stayed in that relationship. I just we'd still just be in this ugly cycle, just back. And I I wasn't I wasn't ever gonna learn. And I, so I've said before where I think she had to be the bad guy, Tabitha. I feel like she had to be, Yeah, she had to leave there was, because I was never going to do it. I, you know, we weren't happy and I would have stayed unhappily married my whole life because I felt like that's what love was because I was like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta just, you know, keep, I gotta keep changing myself. I gotta find a way to make her happy. I got, you know, I just, ne- I never would have done anything, I think, to like make myself happy, you know? Uh, we, we, uh, it, it, it fucking breaks my heart. I wish, I wish that we were happy together. I wish that we were happy together, but I can't, like, even still now, it's so hard for us to talk to each other. We just, it's, at least for me, I can't speak for her, but it's just, Every time we talk on the phone or anything, it just takes me a while to like unclench my shoulders afterwards. Like I or so, like sometimes I'll just be so fucking sad for a day or so just from having one conversation with her. And it's and it, you know a lot of that's obviously just the divorce, but still, while we were married, we just there was a a combination of us two together that we were uh, our worst selves. I wasn't, I was awful and she was awful and we make each other awful and that breaks my heart. And I would have just stayed, uh, in that. And because she broke up with me and because and then it's just, Oh, just intense pain, intense pain. Like I'd never felt before just intense, awful pain. I hated it. And I, and I re- and I, if I could have, I feel like I would have, just put our relationship back together so that I wouldn't have to deal, go through that pain. But now on the other side of it, I do feel like, okay, uh, I don't think I'm ever going to be codependent again. Right. I, I also may never like right now, right now I've swung so far to the other side where I'm like, I don't know if we'll ever be intimate with another person again. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't, I don't know if I can ever be in a relationship again, but at least it, it won't be a codependent. You can't get in a codependent <laughs> relationship if you don't ever get into a relationship. <laughs> think about that. Um, do you think that the pain was caused by the codependency? I mean, obviously the yeah, of there, course. There was like the- yeah, 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 yeah. That's because that 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 obviously there are a lot of things that are painful about divorce, but that that pain I was just thinking about as I was talking, just that awful, unbearable, I want to die pain was because, uh, half of me was missing. The good half of me was missing. I was left with everything that I hated about us, uh, 
which was me. Everything I hated about us was me, and it was all that I was left with. And I hated me, and I was unhappy, and I had no tools to use to make myself happier because I did not know how to make myself happy because I'd spent my the last however many years making her make me happy. It was her job to make me happy. And it was my job to make her happy. That's what I worked on. I was like, I'll change myself and do this and do this and do this for her. And then she needs to do this and this and this for me. Right. And so I had, I was, I had no clue how to take care of myself because I had been so codependent. And so here I am left an unhappy mess and no idea how to clean it up. It was very, very painful. You know, I had to learn how to, I mean, I spent a long time just pacing the house. Just, and I, I mean, uh, out of a 24 hour period, most of it was just spent pacing my, just all hours of the night, just an empty, an empty apartment. Cause she had taken oh all this stuff and I would just walk back and forth. I would occasionally go in and check on Ethan in his room and and then walk back out and I just didn't sleep and all this shit because I, I, I had no idea how to fix this and it was just getting worse. I had to learn how to get out of the house uh, by myself and like just go see a movie by myself and, be, and, and, and like make myself happy. I'm like, Aaron, what will make you happy? I had to ask myself, I'm like, what, what, what is going to make you happy? What's something you could do for yourself today? I'm like, I would like to get a massage. I started getting so many massages after the divorce, not even happy ending massages. Like not, <laughs> uh, not like, you, I heard they're not that yeah, <laughs> not like in a sad, uh, uh, in a sad way or whatever. It was like a really, my massage therapist was my therapist. She was better than my therapist. She number one cost less than a, uh, well, I think it gets maybe they cost about the same, but uh, your your therapist doesn't even like let you get naked. And, yeah. uh, the, your therapist doesn't even touch you, and I love touch. Like, uh, but like uh, Sarah, my massage therapist. I mean, first of all, like a massage is relaxing and great. Right. But Sarah would also just ask me about the divorce, and like we would work through shit while she, like during this this sixty minute massage. It was fucking great. I loved it. But I was getting lots of them because it was the like one of the first things that I thought of that would make me. I was like, well, I th- you know, I've always wanted to get a massage that would be nice that would be cool i remember as a missionary you walk a ton you sleep in terrible cots you uh and you're i don't know i remember just always being uh stiff and sore and in pain and i remember saying on the on the mission i'd be like man when i get home you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna get a massage and i never did i talked about getting a massage and then i never got one and i was always so fucking poor and cheap and i was like well i can't afford to spend uh 60 dollars just on uh you know something to make myself feel better and god yeah and i wouldn't i did not and so like i when when i hit rock bottom though i was like you know what fuck it man money's who cares you don't have any money you also don't have a wife so <laughs> just spend it and that's like I finally got a massage and like loved how I felt afterwards. So like I had to teach myself all these things to how to take care of myself and make myself happy. And I'm still it's a work in progress. I still get pretty lonely sometimes and still just like I feel the need to make other people make me happy sometimes. You know, I'm like, oh, can't someone else just take care of me and make me happy? And I uh 
I, but for the most part, I think I am doing so much better at being an independent person who, who is in charge of his own feelings and doesn't put that burden on other people and takes care of himself and is generally happier. So I think for you, there was a lot that uh, so many identities, like every single piece of your identity, because you also, then you were the divorce guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of her leaving, uh, coincided with leaving Mormonism. Mm -hmm. So this was just all at once. Everything that you ever were was changed yep. overnight. And so that's a huge paradigm shift where I think I find myself shedding. It's not intentional. A, a bunch of times it hasn't been intentional, but very quickly shedding whatever identity I have been in for the last uh, few years and moving on to a different paradigm and i'm comfortable in that i'm com i'm more comfortable in that transition we moved uh, a couple years ago and i was the move was a lot we sold the house there was so much work going into selling the house and then uh moved into a a, a much bigger house finally with all those kids and and uh, there was just so much transition around that. And I remember getting sad, like a little bit depressed after that was all done because I like the transition of moving. I like all that change. I like all of the chaos that's around it. I loved right before we moved to LA in order to pull off the move, we had to move into my parents' house for a month because there was uh, too many, too many moving parts so we uh, packed up the house, got rid of most of our stuff, moved into my parents' basement where I worked for f six weeks because I don't have a day job, but I worked for six weeks at a restaurant I used to work at and then uh, sent our stuff across the country and then you and I drove across the country and I nothing, the dust hasn't really settled since. It's just been one thing after another. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm my happiest in that. I'm my happiest in uh, just flux. And I get restless in, that was the thing with Delaware. People just, uh, they all go to school together their whole lives. And then everyone knows everyone. And then they they join the union and they work the same job for the rest of their life. And I could never, I'm like from Delaware, but also Portland. And I could never sit still. And that just sounds like a nightmare to me. That just, that sounds I would rather live in constant uncertainty, which doesn't feel like uncertainty to me, than play the same character my entire time on this planet. That just seems like I would die. I, I would, I prefer, I, that's why I love comedy as a career because I'm never, it's, it's never fluid. the same thing. It's changing. Yeah, it's constantly changing, which is my comfort zone. Once I feel like I'm good at something and I have settled into it and I understand it, I just, I don't consciously think about it, but I just move on to the next. And that means a com yeah, this is exactly completely different environment. Yeah. 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 You're the only people. person I've heard that like talked about quitting meth is just like, you know, I, I did it. Uh, I feel like I'd gotten all I could get out of it and uh, yeah. moved on. Yeah. I don't, that you know, you have a short attention span when you can't stay addicted to meth. <laughs> <laughs> um, changing the character you play was a terrifying thought for me turned out not being that bad like and i would like to say if you know to to people that maybe are in the same spot as i was in where you're you're holding on because you feel like uh 
you, you're afraid of what's going to happen. You're like, I don't want my life to change. <laughs> like I was, I was, I was afraid if I left the Mormon church, it was like my entire life will fall apart. Oh no. Huh. And then I did leave the Mormon church and my entire life did actually fall apart. My entire <laughs> life fell to pieces. Like, ah, my dad was right. <laughs> this is what I get. But when you, after you go through it, I mean, it's, it's hard. It was, it was scary during that time. It was very sad. But when you go through it, you're just like afterwards, you're like, oh, you feel very strong afterwards. At yeah. least I do. I feel yeah. very strong. Where I'm like, oh, you have, you can't touch me. Yeah. Like I just, my entire life just fell apart and I'm, and I'm fine. I mean, I'm not fine, but you know, I'm doing okay. And it's just, you, you're like, oh, that wasn't that bad. Yeah. It's when you, it's like coming over the, the roller coaster and you're so, 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 so scared and, and it is scary, but then it's over and you're like, oh, that was, that was okay. I'm kind of glad that I did that, you know? Yeah. And the more of, more loss and pain you experience in life, the more, you know that you're going to be okay. You know when you're in that experience that you're going to be okay and that it's just a wave that you have to ride, which just makes you better at dealing with the next pain and the next loss. Yeah. So you guys are going to be okay. And so are we. We'll catch you next week on Mormon and the Meth Head. If you put a Mormon and a meth head together, this is what they sound like. Listen to them talking to Mike.